Welcome to the Competitive 40k podcast brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress and perform at this incredible game, Warhammer 40k, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Stephen Box, and I give you a very warm welcome to the show. Hello, Matt. How you doing? I'm doing good. Honestly, Matt, thanks so much for joining me today on the show. Yeah, no problem. I figured I'd get some uh, words out there. I mean, you've had a few questions, right, about your performance with the (laughs) um, Custodes, so I Uh, thought... A little bit more than a few. (laughs) Well, I'm not not surprised. So I thought, what a great opportunity to get you on on the show, and we can go over not only, um, you know, your LVO experience, but also your impressions of the book as well. Um, and maybe what your feelings are and musings are towards the new mission packs. We've got a lot to cover. So Matt, for the listeners then, um, where or who is Matt Laura? Tell us a little bit more about you and, um, you know, your kind of year this year, so to speak. So I never really took competitive play too, too serious. I was definitely the the better player in my group. And I did a lot of like small RTs and Every now and then I do the local um, GT, which is uh, Nova Open, because I live in Maryland. And that's about as far as I took like my competitive career going. But um, at the very start of 2020, I decided uh, to actually take competitive play a little bit more serious because uh, my friends really wanted me to go at it. So um, I took um, my very first like super competitive list that I thought down. It was... Um, Right before the Drukari book came out, it was uh, 80 racks, uh, some lynxes, and some shadow specters, and some hornets. I did like a mixed Eldari army. And um, my third game, I went against Mark Hertel, beat him. My fourth game, I went against Sean Naden, beat him. And then I went into Nick Nadavati and um, only lost by like eight points in the finals of that tournament. And at the time, I had no idea who any of these people were. Uh, except Nick Navadi and um, everybody like kept coming up to me and asking me questions like, "Do you know who that was? Do you know who this was?" And I'm like, "No, nah, I just was playing my Eldar and doing my best." And they're like, "You just beat some of the top seeded people in the world." And Nick talked talked to me for a while and kind of convinced me to like start taking my competitive career serious. So then I started playing in more events the year. I went to Atlantic City. I played some more GTs in the local area. Then I went to the LVO. And you didn't do too badly there, did you? I didn't do too bad. I did uh, pretty good, if you ask me. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, your name first came under my radar when um, I was at the hotel room uh, with Ben. And uh, he said, Steve, I've got custodes tomorrow. Can you have a look at the list? And I had a look at it. And I was like, right, yeah, they've got some, it's got some good tools in this book. Very kind of similar um, to some of the stuff we had already uh, practiced before, myself and Ben. And he knew he was up against it. Um, it's a very hard matchup for the for the thick city we found um, in his style of list. In obviously Ben Jones, uh, he's a fantastic Drakari player, uh, one of the best I know. Um, and after he played you, he just was. I've never seen him so happy that he's lost a game because he just really <laughs> enjoyed you know playing with you. That you know you played with such great intent, but also had such a great competitive game as well. So I was like, right, this is someone I want to talk to. Yeah, we had a really good game. I really enjoyed playing that game against him. So in terms of then your... Why, why Custodes then? Why did you take those to the LVO? Um, this is going to sound terrible. Um, 
they were easy to pack onto the plane. It was my first time flying to the West Coast. Uh, it was a small army that I could get painted up fast. I actually didn't know we were going to use the new book uh, up until um, two weeks before the new book came out. Uh, and I had to very quickly come up with something that I liked. And it was um, almost 10 hours a week from the point of uh, me finding out until uh, list submission of me just sitting down writing custodian list. <laughs> your, um, your reasons to take custodians are exactly the same as mine. <laughs> I knew I had to take a very small army because I had all my camera gear, I had stuff for the workshop that we did at the LVO, obviously my clothes, and I was like, right, it just literally needs to fit in mm -hmm. the same size bag as a wash bag. So, um, yeah, same for me. Easy to paint, literally painted the army in two weeks. Um and just enjoyed actually i listened to some of the books as well about custodies and i thought actually i really like the the style and the feel of these guys so um they are pretty cool they remind me of spartans and i yes. love like the spartan mythos that's so cool yeah 300's one of my favorite films so uh yeah it's why i've actually took off all the helmets on my army and put faces on because i wanted to really get back really? to that back to that feel of the uh yeah these absolutely jack guys um, put the helmet down and just uh yeah so yeah similar sort that's pretty awesome actually i never thought of it like that yeah so that was a bit of inspiration for my army but um okay so what was your first impressions of the book then so obviously you've opened this new book up you realize that the rules are all new what was going through your head when you were looking at um you know let's cover some of the main abilities right so their main ability is the their martial guitars what was your main thoughts on those uh, I thought they were very toolboxy. I didn't think they were individually strong at all. I thought they were very good, though, if used in the right circumstance with the right person. Yeah. Um, and I found that actually by watching like videos online that like people that weren't as great as like handling the katas never really got value out of them. But when I watched more competitive players use them, they really got really good value out of something that people don't really view as that great. Yeah, I, th I think that's really where, like you said, it's a, that's part of the book, which is very hard to master. Yes. But also leaves an opportunity there for, you know, some really strong sort of synergies and plays with the book. But one in which sometimes can lead a bit of a gray area for your opponent as well. And I think how you... um communicate that with your opponents really really important so that you're not just swapping guitars because obviously everything has to be written down essentially right pre-game uh something i actually did and this is something that everyone else can use i just take the uh the gw cards that they have they yeah. have the katas written down on them and i put them like right out in the open in between me and my opponent like center field off to the side i put them in order that i want yes and I'm like, this is the order they are. If I want to move them around with my once per game Trajan thing, I'll do it right in front of you. That's exactly what I do. Yeah, love that. Yes, yeah, the cards are fantastic for that. So uh, I'm glad we're on the same page. Um, because otherwise, you know, you don't want to ever, f you know, your opponent to feel like they've been gotcha'd yeah. or um, they've been misled. So I think that's really important. So on, on those guitars then, what, what's a couple of the standouts for you that you, you found yourself sort of leaning more towards um, and is, was there any that you felt, okay, this is just quite good to use a stratagem and use on a particular unit? I actually, not once in the entire event, used the stratagem to put a unit into a, a kata. Okay. Um, I didn't 
feel like I need it to, um, because my army's general game plan, I never really strayed outside of my katas that I needed to do, if that makes sense. Okay, cool. Turn one, I almost always went for the, um, the extra dice when advancing kata. Yep. And then I immediately went into one of the two combat katas, either the, uh, the extra attack at minus one damage or the new rerolls. And then that was that was it. <laughs> like, I really never needed to go into a different one. Okay, nice. I found myself doing a little bit... Uh, originally, I, I started to go for, similar to you, the extra advance. Uh, but then in some of my games, I wanted to play a little bit cagier. So what I would do is um, go for the extra four-inch range, just so I could stay back a little bit out of some of my opponent's threat ranges. Um, and offer, you know, the salvos at a longer range or whatever it might be, but then use the stratagem to get that advance on a really important unit that I just needed to get up the field. So I kind of used it like that, and then similarly go into some sort of combat doctrine after that one. I think there were a couple of the missions where I did the extra range one turn one instead of the advanced ones where the, like, the, the objectives were like practically on top of you and you didn't have to advance onto them. Yeah. Like... um. One, I think actually the game I played against your fellow VT member, I think it was one of the ones where the objectives were like almost right in your deployment zone. Yeah. I think I did the extra shots there. Yeah. No, that's nice. Um, or sometimes I use the double shoot with my guardians if I was just trying to kill like a a, a five-man unit mm -hmm. of mandrakes or something. And just getting that extra efficiency for that extra CP, I think, came in quite useful. Um, and I think that's really where some tactical nice flexibility lies as well. So, Katars aside shield hosts <laughs> now there's been a lot of yeah now, it's interesting because when i when i first saw the book i thought do you know what everyone's gonna love some uh, shadow keepers i thought that's the one people are gonna like and i thought well i'll be a unique snowflake and i'll go for emperor's chosen because i thought now everyone will see the four plus mortal wound and think it's rubbish because typically the community does um so i'm really interested to find out then actually it's been completely the opposite, hasn't it? And now mm -hmm. I feel like being a unique snowflake, I might go for some Shadow Keepers. Yeah, I was genuinely taken aback by how few people valued Shadow Keepers. Yeah. Um, I actually, I sat down and took a really long, hard look at the meta as a whole. I knew armies like um, Orcs and Tyrdeds and Drukhari are those are going to be like the top three predators of the event and they were um i actually did not expect to see as many other custodian armies as i did but those three armies use their hqs as their really hard trading pieces a lot of the time yeah. orcs you got your your beast bosses on squigasaurs uh you have your kill rigs which are also characters um you have your hive tyrants, your swarm lords, and then you also have like your your succubuses and your drazars. Shadow keepers really, really abuse those hard. Yeah. Also, they're fantastic in the mirror match, right? Oh my god, yeah. I after the event, I would go as far as saying shadow keepers are favored in the mirror. Yeah. It was pretty uh, eye opening. Also, the meta is very combat heavy right now and the shadow keepers just flat minus one to incoming attacks is really strong yeah the shadow keepers was often the one that i as an emperor's chosen uh, army 
was the one that I put models into the most. Mm -hmm. I had um, a lot of people actually like, yeah, I just I spend the CP to be shadow keepers for the turn. I'm like, then why not just be shadow keepers all the time? Yeah, and they just kind of would look at me and be like, huh? <laughs> yeah. So what is it then? Obviously, shadow keepers, you get the rerolls against characters. Mm -hmm. And you get the minus one attack when one of your units is engagement range, right? Of an enemy unit. Yes. What else is it about the Shadow Keepers that you really like? So they have an amazing relic with the, um, I, I'm not going to even try to pronounce it, the, uh, the fight last relic that you can put on anybody. I put it on my bike captain. Um, I think it's like something obulate. The, stas the uh, stasis? Stasis obulate. I don't know. Obiletti? Obilat? Yeah. Who knows? That one. <laughs> That's the one. Yep. But yeah, the fight lasts on the bike and the um the ability to pair that with the uh the heroic intervention stratagem to allow him to heroic intervention six inches. Yeah. Whew. That's a you put that in the middle of your army and people have to rethink everything. Yeah. And the uh you also get access to the ignoring and vulnerable saves against characters warlord trait, which when paired with that fight last uh, relic on your bike captain with a missile launcher, can really, really put some hurt on some squishy characters like Succubi and Drazars and Archons. Because it's any attack, not just combat. Any it? attack. So if that missile launcher is close enough to that Succubus, she's gone. She's dead. Instantly. Yeah. Which also opens up a really nice secondary pick for assassinate i took that often yeah because the the custodes really struggle with secondaries because they don't really want to be doing actions and typically the ones in the book aren't very strong um or you know quite actually hard to achieve so i think having assassinate is a really good standout pick is great for the custody army yeah i picked assassinate i think at least five times out of my 10 games wow yeah yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it was a really good uh, pick for a lot of those. And then you've, got, you've also got a stratagem. So where does do this stratagem, stratagem get used most? And tell us what the stratagem is. So the stratagem uh, you can use on your infantry or your biker captain. It is um, minus one strength for incoming attacks. Um, a lot of the times, this is almost a second transhuman. It really is. Um, so you'll have like strength five attacks coming into you. You can do the, uh, I think it's called like Grim, grim Responsibility. You're correct, yep. Oh, I was right. And uh, all of a sudden now they're wounding all your custodies on fives. Or you do it on a strength six weapon, now they're wounding you on fours. Custodies being toughness five is a really like good bracket to be at. Yeah. Because it affects, minus one strength affects incoming attacks so much. Yeah, I can imagine things like grotesques just bounce off you. Yep. Right? <laughs> I had three thick city games, and when those grotesques hit me, they, they practically bounce off. Yeah. No, I um, completely agree with that. Um, and it's interesting because I nearly submitted a Shadowkeeper's list, and it was only last minute was I convinced to uh, change to Empress Chosen. Now, I don't think Empress Chosen were bad, uh, for, you know, the style of build that I had in, you know, missing out on the shadow round by two points. I'm not too, um, <laughs> I'm not too worried about it. Obviously it was good enough to get me that far. Um, so what I'm interested to know then, 
I mean, I love the Shadow Keepers. It's definitely my sort of play style. I love combat. Um, so what did you learn um, from practice, you know, before the event? Did you manage to get many practice games in? I actually really didn't. Um, my local friend group that I play with all the time is more of a, I would say like a medium skill level. They're not quite casual, but they're not quite competitive. Um, I actually, um, I'll do something with my dad. Uh, my dad actually went to the event with me and he supports me and he uh, helps me like move my stuff around and all to the tables and stuff. He's just kind of there for moral support. But um, my dad kind of plays the game, but he's uh, he helps me what I call goldfish. Okay. What I'll do is um, I'll take my army and I'll set up another competitive army across from me. And I will practically play both armies, but I'll have him roll the dice for the other army. And I'll also have him make the decisions that I lay out for him. I'd be like, well, in this situation, you'd have one of these two options as your best move. Which one would you like to proceed with? And that's actually how I got my one and only practice game in. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So really then it was a theory list, right? Yeah, I set him up with a, a Crusher Stampede list because I, I own almost all of the army. So I was able to pull out a Crusher Stampede list uh, in front of him and be like, hey, this is kind of how this army plays. You want to do it like this, this, and this. And I walked him through playing against me. And that's uh, how I got my game in. So interestingly then, um, I mean, this is sort of very high, I suppose, minutia levels of analysis here. The Crusher Stampede deals a lot of mortal wounds, right, on the charge and other elements. Were you, it, it, at what point did you think, actually, it, I'm still better off going Shadow Keepers rather than going for the durability? Because it was the durability against those mortal wounds specifically for the Crusher Stampede, which was why I favoured going for Empress Chosen. So did you feel like the Shadow Keepers were still strong enough and durable enough to survive those mortal wounds and rely on the six-up naturally rather than going for that four then? So, Crusher Stampede only really have one instance of Mortal Wounds that is scary, and it is very scary. It is when they do that charge. Yeah. Um, I did a lot of thinking on it, and I thought Shadowkeepers would still be better because I have the Fight Last Relic, which I can keep near my stuff, and also um, vehicles have a stratagem for ignoring Mortal Wounds on 5-up. Yeah. Um. I figured most of the time they'd be charging my Dreadnought. Okay. Um, and I would use my CP to then soak up the Mortal Wounds on fives. Yeah. Which is not too far off from Emperor's Chosen. Yeah. Um, and my Bike Captain, Trajan, and then my two Contemptor Dreadnoughts could all have access to five up Fuma Pains. Yeah, nice. I like it. I never got to test the theory because I managed to dodge Crusher Stampede. Yeah. Um, but that was the theory was Shadow Keepers is better overall. So if we can play smart and tactically, we can hopefully get through that little bit of mortal wounds. Yeah, that's really good. Something we teach on the Academy is we build out a SWOT analysis for each of our armies, aren't we, right? So we have our strengths, the weaknesses of the army, and then threats. So obviously... The weakness is mortal wounds. The threat is the Crusher Stampede. And then the opportunities are, okay, I've got access to these stratagems. or uh, And I think what you've done there is kind of summarize that really, really well and use that to your advantage to know this is an issue I might need to be aware of, but I also have a an opportunity 
to use the things in my toolbox to circumnavigate it as best as I possibly can. So I absolutely love that uh, thought process there. Yeah, I also thought with the uh, the player place terrain, all, I should be able to keep all of my infantry inside of a ruin and monsters can't go through walls. So I thought I would actually be pretty safe like that. Yeah, nice. Oh, brilliant. So was there um, anything that you you know, you know had in your list then? Because it, it must have been, if it was mainly a theory list, anything that you were kind of unsure of and you thought, oh, I'm not really sure how this is going to play out, um, but you just put it in your list anyway. So was there anything there you thought, this was a bit of a wild card, so to speak. And then I'd be interested to know actually how that panned out at the tournament. Was it um, better than you expected or worse? Yeah, actually, my three individual Alaris. Um, I ended up loving those by the end of the event so much where even with the changes of the new chapter approved, I'm still thinking about keeping them in. Okay. Um, the individual Alaris was a... Um, I had my uh, one of my friends up on uh, Discord talking uh, two nights before the uh, cutoff for the uh, list turn in. And he's like, the Sisters of Silence are 60 points. And I was like, yeah, but an Alaris Terminator is 65. So I could have five wounds with a three-up save at Toughness 3, or I could have four wounds at Toughness 5 with a two-up, four-up that can deep strike. I kind of like the Alaris, and I thought long and hard on it, and I was just like, you know what? I'm full sending it. I'm taking three individual Alaris Terminators, um, and they performed spades for me. I was able to get so many secondaries opened up to me, so many like toolbox situations. They were practically band-aids for my army. Okay. Give us a couple of examples on how you use those to complete some secondaries. Uh, so, for one, uh, because this is the old mission pack, they opened up Rod. Yeah. Uh, Rod is not something that a custodian army can really reliably do, but with these individual Alaris, you can't screen them out that well. And they're able to just get in and get Rod yeah. pretty fairly uh, easily. Yeah. Uh, other situations were like, I, uh, I wanted to move uh, some of my spear dudes that were holding a backfield objective up to help out the main fight. Boom, single Lars deep striking in on turn one. He's on that home field objective now. Those guys can now go up. Yeah. Uh, I also had um, in my quarterfinals game. Yeah, my quarterfinals game against my third thick city list. He left his right side of the field open. Um, and he had a unit of five Cabalites on his home field objective. Um, and I deep striked in all three Lars Terminators in nine inches away and had three attempts at rolling a nine to get in and i got in with two of them perfect and put him down to a five on primary sold the objective prevented his herd the prey because they're all individual terminators like they, they they were they were amazing nice how did L, um i wasn't sure on this but how did lvo rule the using a stratagem on a unit before um it coming onto the battlefield like could you use if you had one brick could you use um uh, the lions to break out into small um, I believe they ruled that you couldn't. Yeah. Okay. But I would have never do it anyway. I would never have taken them as a unit of three. Okay. I I much prefer them as individual operatives rather than a unit because if yeah. I look at it as if I would another unit of them, I'd rather just have another unit of wardens. Yeah. For me, I'm I'm in that same category. I liked. I only had one, 
um, just for the points. Um, but being able to, in some missions, leave on a back foot objective to free up, you know, those, those other units moving forward was brilliant or, um, to use it for a rod. And then what I used was my banner to move into another quarter and then use the stratagem to ping him over again. <laughs> so then he can rod in my second quarter. Yep. Uh, because nobody targets a single terminator when it's in the corner of the table, they just forget about him. And then I'm nope. like, right, move and advance my banner, use the stratagem, ping him over. He can now rod. And that was brilliant. They were also good for uh, zoning out my opponent's reserves. Yeah. They were, they were very helpful. And also they're quite durable, right? In combat. So you oh, know, a yeah. five man Mandrake unit can't just charge him off that objective. Cause it's, he's really tough to take down. He's literally like a superhuman, right? Um, or like another character model in your army for 60 points. I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I had the, uh, in my, uh, last game against Drakari, I had an Archon charge into two of them and die. <laughs> Pretty. He just, and it wasn't like a single round of combat. It was like two to three rounds of combat. He just couldn't get through them. And as soon as the shadow field failed, he was gone. Yeah. Brilliant. I think that's fantastic, mate. I really do. Um, so do you think then with the new mission pack, uh, you mentioned about that, you're still going to use them. Obviously, you won't really be able to reliably, um, you know, re retrieve Nackman data with them now uh, because obviously you need to something like roll under the equal to or under the amount of models. I mean, I'm notorious for rolling one, so I probably could get away with it. But <laughs> I don't know um, if you're still thinking the same or you're just going to use them as backfield holding objectives over sisters or like you said, zoning out. So, I'm definitely reducing the number of them. The question is, is how many do I go down to? Yeah. Uh, I have one thought where I uh, drop just one and I take a banner, which is something yep. I'm looking at doing. Because uh, with the extra points I have, it kind of fits out to where I can just replace one with a banner almost. Uh, and the other thought is I drop two for a Dreadnought. I yeah. also kind of like that. Yeah, I'm in agreement. It's... Uh... It's, it's very, I don't know about you, but I found the Custodes really difficult army list to write because it's so fine. You're like, you make one adjustment and you're either 20 points over or 30 <laughs> points under. And then you've got yeah. to redo so much. You're like, oh, well, if I take this then out and I found it some of the most challenging lists to write, but actually the most enjoyable because the book seems to be very balanced in terms of options. Um, do you go bikes? Do you go terminators? Do you go wardens, guardians? Do you go dreadnoughts? Do you go Caladius? You know, there's so many mm -hmm. different options. Speaking to one of my other VT coaches, they're really enjoying the Telemon. And I'm like, wow, I never even thought about taking a Telemon. So um, I think the book is extremely diverse. Um, you, have you found that the same in terms of list writing that you just, you know, it's just too much to pick from? Um, yes and no. Um, I actually had a Telemon in my original my first draft of the list and he ended up getting cut. I just couldn't get behind him anymore. Um, obviously the, the plastic dreadnought and the plastic land raider in the, the book are, um, subpar, we'll <laughs> say, um, <laughs> compared to some of the other options. Um, but this is super controversial, but I hate the bikes. Okay. I, I looked at them a lot. I did math a lot. And every time I looked at them, I was just like, they seem like a trap. Okay. They really do. I just, I couldn't go up behind them. What are your thoughts then on the bikes? The biggest thing is losing OBSEC sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no way around that. It. It's just, 
I wanted to put the bikes in. I kept writing them in. I kept writing them in. And then every single time I was like, no, nah, I got to get rid of these. Yeah. Um, for one, I think taking bikes makes you want to play Emperor's Chosen because you get the re-rolls, which makes the missiles stronger, which makes them more consistent. I was neither playing Emperor's Chosen and I was also not playing the style list that wanted bikes in the first place. Bikes kind of want to like skirt the outsides, gain value over time, and like hit the opponent in a devastating charge and get some good shooting off. My list kind of just moved to the center and sat there. Okay, yep. And it begged people to charge it. Yep. Whereas the bikes want to charge the enemy. I very rarely was doing the charging. Okay. I was getting charged. And bikes, that seems terrible. Yeah. Like, can you imagine just taking the three bikes up, moving them to the center field objective, then they get charged and you lose the objective because they're not obsec? Yeah. None of that seems great. I must admit, when I first when I first picked up the Custodia book, I was actually leaning towards three bricks of Terminators with the banner. And what I was doing was using them as my while we stand with fights, you know, baiting out the charges, using fight last, um, and then having my banner on the other side of the table. So as soon as a unit got weak, I would ping it back over to the banner and get out of trouble. Um, and I would reliably get, uh, you know, 10 to 15 points on while we stand with fight because it's so hard to kill four Terminators with the stratagems and things. And I kept trying to include a unit of bikes and I felt three didn't work. I tried four, that didn't work. I tried five, that didn't work. I tried a six, still didn't work. And then it was only last minute before I just thought, I don't know how I'm going to kill this Crusher Stampede. I'm just going to put nine in. Let's see if nine works. Um, and I did feel like with nine, your list is built around it. Bear in mind, I used to be a Blood Angel player. So the bikes are just sanguinary guard, but um, <laughs> on, on, on some serious steroids. Uh, and they shoot rockets out their ass, which was also nice. So for me, it kind of fit really well into my already uh, play style. Very aggressive fast army is kind of what i prefer so i did manage to use them i think in quite a good way but i think you've got to go all in on the bikes or all out i, I don't know if a, yeah. a middle ground is really right um i think you have to go all in and embers chosen and yeah. i wanted to do neither of those things so they were yeah. just not going to cut it for me yeah no I, I get it completely um something that i think again the book is diverse enough to do that based on people's play styles if you're more defensive you know, you can go for those options if you want to be a little bit more aggressive. I think the options are there as well. So what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned from using the Custodes over the over the time at the LVO? Uh, one of the biggest things I learned was um, just more and more practice on heroic positioning is so important with this army. I would honestly have to say, like, Outside of your defensive stratagems, your heroic intervention stratagem is by far your strongest thing in the book. Yeah. Uh, it's just flat out, like, Trajan can heroic intervene six. And then you have the Praetorian plate dude that can heroic intervene practically infinite range. And then you have another unit that can heroic intervene. And then your bike can also do it. Like, I could, ha I could technically have four units heroic intervening all at the same time on the same turn. And... I'm pretty sure I had at least one situation where that happened. Yeah. Like it's positioning on those objectives matter so much. And uh, a little trick that uh, newer Kasode players can definitely do. Objectives are 40 mil. Yeah. Uh, 
every custodian is at least a 40 mil. Yep. And if you place that custodian directly on top of that objective, no matter where the enemy goes to take that objective from you, you get to heroically intervene into them. That is by far one of the most fun things to do with this army. It's sometimes worth advancing your unit to guarantee that position. Mm-hmm. 100%. And also, 40 mil is under 2 inches, so it's really important that you use your 2-inch coherency so you can heroically intervene Trajan or whoever else through those gaps because otherwise mm. you know you're not going to be able to move through those bases um same you you know you can't fly in the heroic intervention step so your bike's useless it has to literally kind of just piddle its way through the gap uh, that you leave so um i think yeah like you said there leaving spacing movement that's where you got to really spend your time with the army isn't it yeah, it, the positioning on the army is super, super important uh, to the point where if you position wrong with the custodian army, you will just lose. Yeah. Yeah, I had it in my first game with my um, opponent um, and we had a bit of a, we had an interesting game um, and at the start I said, hey, do you know my list? And um, this was John, I was playing, super nice guy. And he said, yeah, I know everything about Trajan, I'm cool with him. And I set up a six inch heroic intervention i set up my guardians they were two inches apart set up this play charged into my unit and i said okay cool i'm gonna heroically intervene six inches and he was like oh what i didn't know that and i was like ah because i've obviously set the play up i didn't use the i didn't use the tangle foot grenade because i wanted the charge um and anyway we we you know we had a really um i gave him the benefit of the doubt that he wasn't aware of that um and i let him rejiggle some things so that you know I don't think I did the heroic intervention or whatever it might be in the end, uh, but we worked it out. So it's a sort of a fair outcome for both of us, but you got to set those plays up, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise it can, like you said, if I wouldn't have had that distance or whatever it might be and using that tangle foot grenade to accentuate that whole charge phase is so important, isn't it? Yeah. The tangle foot grenade, I actually didn't use as often as I probably should have. Yeah. Um, I definitely had some pretty good clutch moments with it. Like, um, in my round six game, I uh, subtracted six from a guy's Archon's charge. Um, and his Archon was only like uh, five inches away, and it turned into like an 11-inch charge. Wow. Uh, that was pretty clutch. But um, as Shadow Keepers, I kind of just wanted people to charge me. <laughs> <laughs> it really would. You wanted a free activation in the fight phase, didn't you? Yeah. Like, hey, you're charging me. You're giving me free attacks on your turn. Hey, man, let's do it. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Love it. Okay, nice. Was there anything that performed poorly or worse than you expected in your list? Honestly, no. I was super, super happy with my list by the end of it. I had a bunch of people tell me what I would uh, ask me what I would change, and I wouldn't change anything about my list actually. Um, now, chapter the new chapter approved changes things, and I can't control that. But as far as the uh, chapter approved 2021, I wouldn't change my list at all. I loved it. I really did. That's awesome to hear. So obviously with the new mission pack then, first of all, let's discuss points. So Matt, you get a free misericordia on everyone. I do. Win, right? That is super exciting. And then also you get a points reduction on a few of your units. So those Alaris have come down a little bit. Now in terms of the new mission pack, there's a lot of five objective missions isn't there yes there is which is great for a custody player it is amazing for a custody player so 
Is there any considerations there in some of the new secondaries? For example, the one that I've got my eye on is, and this is a really nice change that um, is happening in this book, where, where you hold the middle of uh, basically the table, you perform an action, and you've basically got the entire turn to clear off your opponent outside of six, and then it's you know completed, which I really like. Is there any other um, you know secondaries in this book that you might be sort of you know leaning your army towards? Um, and any sort of changes that you might be making in your list in all, because of the either secondary or mission changes? Um, obviously, Stranglehold is always going to be a custodian stra- uh, staple. That is going to be something I probably continue to pick throughout my custodies games. Um, outside of that, uh, I'm probably going to be picking a lot of Assassinate as a Shadowkeeper's player. Yeah. My third one, I'm actually not that sure yet. I... I do hear you about the investigate signals, but I have some concerns with it that I'm not 100% sold on it yet. Yeah, you need a minimum of three, uh, three man or three lady unit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just not 100% on it. Yeah, I like the ability to be able to, um, again, like it might open up some options as maybe you take a unit of, is it vigilators that can pregame move? Uh, the flamethrower ones. Yeah. Yeah. So they could, if you go first, because I often found as a custody player, I want to be going second. Um, so it's nice to know if I do go first, I can score points rapidly. So using that pregame move, getting a very early stranglehold in the middle of the table, you know, securing that, uh, investigate signal with an early uh, moving unit. And then obviously I can always use up guardians in later turns with the, you know, advance in action could be a nice option while I use my dreadnoughts and my bikes to clear out the middle. And again, sort of set up those heroic interventions like you mentioned. So I think there could be some play around there, but again, it's going to take some practice, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely going to open up some new uh, avenues of play for custodes. Not quite sure what direction I want to go with it, but we'll have to see. Did you ever take grind them down? Um, I actually don't think I did. Uh, cause I have the, uh, the three individual Alaris and that's actually one thing that it does kind of hamper, it hampers, uh, grind it down a bit. Yeah. I'd actually someone pick grind it down against me once. Okay. And that did not work for them. No, I can't imagine it did. No, it didn't. Well, <laughs> they, they would like, uh, they'd get like the one Alaris and another unit, and then I would just like, I think it was against Dark Eldar, and I would just kill like yeah, two units and be like, I ain't. <laughs> yeah, and it's again really hard if you go first, isn't it, to predict yeah, that. Yeah, very hard. So, going looking at the secondaries then, I found myself, and I don't know about you, um, typically going for Stranglehold, going for a mission-specific secondary, in a lot of cases, or Assassinate, um, and then, you know, fluttering between a retrieve Octarius data or a banner or sometimes a grind them down. Um, what were you sort of going for in terms of your secondaries? You've mentioned Rod. Uh, what other ones in Stranglehold? What was that third pick? Was it mainly Assassinate you were picking then? It actually was Rod, Assassinate, Stranglehold for I think at least four of my games. Okay. Yeah. Um, some of the games I had to switch out... Um, Stranglehold for um, Engage, I believe. Okay. I think I did that once. Uh, one of the six objective mission ones I wasn't 100% comfortable on. Um, and I think there was a, a couple times I couldn't take Assassinate, but I uh, found usually another kill secondary that I could get a hold of. Yeah. 
And when you're picking those secondaries in your head, how many points are you trying to score off them? Is it is it nine? Is it 12? Is it 15? What are you trying to aim for? Because the custody player doesn't give up many secondaries. So you have the no. opportunity to maybe score a little bit lower in order to still get the win, right? Yeah, so I don't look at it as what one I uh what I want a single secondary to score. I look at it as what do I want to score from all of my secondaries? Okay. I want to score at least 30 points from all of mine. Nice. I don't care if it's one being 15 and another one being 10 and the other one being 5 uh or if it they're all 10, I want to score at least 30 points. Yeah. Is how I like to look at it. Um I was almost always getting 12 off of Rod. I was almost always getting 12 off of Strangle. Right there's 24 points. I just needed 8 points to get my 30. And that 8 points was often Assassinate. Yeah, 3 characters and you've definitely yeah. done there, aren't you? Yep. Yeah, it's exactly what I teach on the Academy. 10 for Painted. You know, aim to get 10 points on each of the turns of the primary. So you're looking at, uh, obviously, what was... Uh, 10 points a turn back then um, and then score that 30 to aim for that 80 sweet spot is typically a good starting point for a baseline and then you can start to either deny your opponent or if the game goes well push for a little bit more yep that's exactly what happened i even had uh, a couple of people take assassinate against me yeah and that didn't also work out for them as well <laughs> yeah i found that to be quite a common one people took against me because the list doesn't really give up much no it doesn't the only game in which I knew I had to score maximum points was my game one because I was up against 40 Deathwing Terminators. Okay. And it was retrieval mission. So he can take the mission, a specific secondary, which is basically don't let units die. Um, he could take to the last, which is should be a guaranteed 15 for that army. And then also uh, he can also take Stubborn Defiance, which is another guaranteed 15. So I thought I need to be able to score maximally. Otherwise, I'm not in this game. Uh, so I yeah. went for the mission. I also went for to the last, which killed me a little bit on my bikes. Um, and then I went for banners as well. But I managed to, uh, unluckily for me, I went first when I want to go second, obviously, in that matchup. Uh, but I managed to nick five points off him through the the Praetorian plate, stole me five <laughs> points on a stubborn defiance. But then I gave up five from the, um, you know, I lost enough units to take it down a bracket but I managed to get a draw rather than a loss because that Deathwing army was so hard to play into as a custode. Yeah. But imagine if they all had one less attack. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, um, again, that, that was where I used that, that Shadow Keeper a lot, was put them in, take the attack off, um, and let the Dreadnoughts try and do as much work as they possibly could. But um, yeah, that was the only time where I thought, right, I have to score. 95 points here i need that to be an option for me otherwise this this game's going to go badly nice so obviously you're not going to make any changes or many huge changes i'm interested to know your thoughts on the um on the forge world vehicles the caladiuses how did you think they performed um and interestingly you went for a slightly different weapon option than i thought you might have gone for because of the um you know the current meta as it were so talk us through your choice on your weapon option what that weapon profile is and how you felt they performed for you so the cladises are actually rooted in my eldar history uh just as you were a blood angel player and the bikes came natural to you yeah uh, i'm a long time craft world player and grav tanks come very natural to me i'm very good at positioning them very good at moving them around very good at getting value out of them 
Yeah. Um, so they entered into my list uh, in 8th edition, and I rocked them and won a small GT with them. Um, in this meta, I thought about it, and I was like, I really want these two grav tanks with the... Um, I think they're pronounced Iliasis Accelerator Cauldrons, okay. I think is the name. The, the, yep. the big 8-shot gun. Strength 7, aren't they? Minus 3, 2 damage? Absolutely, and they have 8 shots. Um, they're a bit of uh, thinking outside the box. Um, people are like, oh, they just need to do damage. They need to do damage. I put so much pressure on the midfield that it is very rare for my opponent to actually attack my grab tanks. Yeah. In the entirety of my, uh, my tournament that I played, I played 10 games. Uh, so that's 20 grab tanks out of 10 games. I lost three grab tanks. Wow. Um, they just didn't get attacked often at all. They were able to sit back and slowly accrue value over the entire game. Because of how I structured my list of being such a mid-board control-y uh, combat-style army, where it moves to the center and gets charged rather than doing the charging, I really needed some units in my backfield that could interact with my opponent to force their hand. Okay. Um, and these two came in perfect in this situation. Because without these two, someone could just take five intercessors and put them on a backfield objective out in the open. And I would pretty much just have to look at them and be like, yep, that's that. they get to live. I can't do anything about them. Right, yeah. But having these two grav tanks with their 60-inch range, it forces my opponent to actually respect my shooting and it forces them to have to deploy and hide and really actually use the cover. Because without those two in my army, I actually have little to no shooting outside of like 12 inches. Yeah. Do you think that it was fortunate that you didn't go up against a, um, you know, like a crusher stampede in this instance? Where maybe obviously because then it all becomes minus one damage. But did you just value the extra shots and looking at the meta as a whole in terms of all the different armies that you could be up against, and that's why you picked that profile over the... Is it two shots with the strength 9 of minus 4, D3 plus yes. 3 damage? Um, I actually think they're not that bad, um, especially with Shadow Keepers, because, like, Hive Tyrants, I would get full rerolls to wound against the Hive Tyrants with the yeah. 8 shots. Um, I actually think they might be better. I think I did the math one night, and it's... They're either this, almost the same or better. Like, the, the math on them is actually really, really close to each other with how much damage they do against um, Crusher Stampede, uh, against characters, at least. Okay, yeah. But as far as uh, what I've felt like I was lacking against Crusher Stampede, I went against three thick cities, all of the minus one damage. Yeah. And they all felt great there. Okay, yeah. So I don't think I would have been missing it too much against Crusher Stampede? Yeah, I think what I love about that, it's not the obvious pick, is it? No. You've You've took some time, you've weighed up your options, you've thought about the pros and the cons, you've done some math hammer, and you felt probably over the course of everything, it's a more reliable option. Because it only takes, you know, um, that Hive Tyrant to make a couple of in buttons, and actually all that high damage did nothing, but you're better off yep. getting some damage through, through volume of shots, 
than you are with two shots that they could easily save. So um, I really like that option. I think it's nice. And um, I've got a Cladius here that I might have to uh, get painted up ASAP. I actually had them single-handed when single-handedly win me a couple of the games. Really? Yeah. The um the Genesaur cult uh semifinals. Okay. There was a unit of um termagons in his backfield that were one of his wowie stands. Okay. And there was um eleven of them left. Um and I was able to take the Caladius, shoot the gaunt unit. It had fourteen shots, six from the lower gun, eight from the top gun. He had eleven gaunts. If I rolled four ones, um I lost the game. And if I rolled three ones or less, I won the game. Because uh, if one gaunt would have lived, he would have gotten five points for while we stand. And I believe the game was that close. If not, it was, it would have been even closer. I think it was either a five-point game or a seven-point game. I can't remember. Yeah. But um, I rolled three ones the hit with the first gun. But then I didn't roll a single one for the rest of the shooting outside of the last uh, wound roll for the little gun. Yeah. And I CP re-rolled it and managed to pick up the entire while we stand unit. Wow. Nice. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something I'm going to have to look into, I think, take some inspiration from you there. Um, because, again, they have the option to also not only sit in the backfield, but also to play aggressive, right? Just to, oh, yeah. Just to tag those units that you know your opponent wants to do actions with. Because if they don't fall back, you're going to shoot them in your turn. Um, but again, it's just having that ability to make those charges, force attacks, base models, um, and again, or block out an objective so they literally can't get to it. And also worth noting, they count as two for objectives. Yeah. And uh, the new Cassetti book, uh, you can give any fly unit retreat and shoot. That includes them. Yeah. Yeah, I actually forgot about that stratagem a lot with my bikes, which would have been quite handy. Yeah, I, uh, someone went to tag one of them once. I was like, he can just retreat and shoot. And he was like, oh, never mind then. I'm yeah. going to go tag that instead. Yeah, and also if they are shooting those vehicles, they're not shooting your precious objective secured units, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I like it. So one last thing then, the Dreadnoughts. Uh, the Dreadnoughts. Okay, so I took two Spear Dreadnoughts and I thought they were awesome. Uh-huh. I thought the damage was great. Um, I had a test game against Crusher Stampede and one Dread, Dreadnought Dave, managed to kill two Dimacherons and a Swarmlord. That's pretty good. I mean, I was getting pure value out of him. Um, they're extremely survivable. Their damage is great. They've got a good lo long-ranged attack as well. Um, but you've gone for the Shield and Sword Dreads. I did. Now, I wanted to go for those, but they were 10 points more and I couldn't afford them in my list. It was literally <laughs> bare bones list. It was spears and nothing else. So how did... I'm, I'm really interested because I've got a couple here that I'm, you know, painting up. Sell them to me. Why, why am I taking shields over spears in the future? So this goes 100% into that philosophy of the style of custodial list that I talked about in the beginning. Yeah. Your bike list, your positioning around, your getting charges, being aggressive. My shield dreadnoughts, they weren't aggressive. It was very rare for them to go past the center line of the map. Uh, they move to the center, and then they just don't die. Okay. It's, it's as simple as that. They, uh, they move to the center. They sit directly on those center field objectives. They are minus one to be hit in combat. 
They are minus one attack because of Shadow Keepers. Minus one damage. Then on top of that, you have a two up save, a four up invulnerable save instead of a five up like the Spear Dreadnought. Six up Funeral Pain. And they have more attacks than the Spear Dreadnought. Yeah. Which means they're getting through more obsec units. They're getting through just as much as uh, the Spear Dreadnoughts, just with more output. Yeah. And they benefit from the Shadow Keeper's rerolling wound rolls. So if a kill rig gets into their grips, they're rerolling all failed wounds into it. If you have an unlucky Drazar that fails to kill it, he is dead. <laughs> yeah. That happened once. Uh, Drazar ran in and failed to charge him, and he just kind of squished him. Was that against Ben? Please tell me that was against Ben. <sighs> I don't think it was. Oh, damn it. I, I don't think Drizzle. he had Drazar, actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, Ben goes nowhere without him. Um, yeah. Oh, maybe he did. I don't remember. It, all, all three of the Thick City lists blended together. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the Galadish Reds, and you also have the Flamer. It's 2d6 shots at strength 6 minus 1. Yeah. And because he's a vehicle, he can use that in combat. Those guys are absolute monsters for holding center field objectives. You pair a Galadus Dreadnought with a unit of Obsec Custodes, and it takes so much to peel them off of that center field objective. Yeah. Like, a unit of Spear Dudes is 135 points, and a Galadus Dread is 170. So yeah. for 305 points, it probably takes my opponents almost 1,000 points to pick them up. And also you've got your character support as well, right? For some heroic intervention shenanigans. Yep. And I had several games where a random Galadus Dreadnought just refused to die. Okay. Uh, in my um, sixth game, I had a single Galadus Dreadnought hold up, four Kronos, three Talos, a unit of Homoxites, and a Succubus for three turns. Wow. They, he just refused to go away. He was like, I'm... Because so many of the uh, Thick City lists are taking the Talos Gauntlets. Yeah. Which are minus one to hit. And then they get out of that from having their Power from Pain for a plus one to hit. Well, the Galadus Dread confers the minus one back, so the Talos are hitting him on fours. Yeah. And that's huge against him. Yeah. Uh, I have come to the point where I would not take an Achilles Dreadnought unless I already have three Galadus Dreadnoughts in my list and one to fourth Dreadnought. Yeah. That is how much I rate the Galadus over the Achilles. Nice, the, I love it. The pure sur survivability and durability. Like, with your Achilles, you still have to kind of, like, hide them turn one so they don't get shot, right? Yeah, I had the redeploy relic. Well, yeah. Which, yeah, that as well. Which I used a lot with those Dreadnoughts. Um, but oh. in a list without that, then all of a sudden, yes, those shields are coming back in. So I think like you've mentioned there it's really about developing that playstyle, isn't it in understanding the use of these units um and one thing i you know kind of i, I realize i've taken up a lot of your time but um the time doesn't matter to me <laughs> okay um one thing that i really hate is this kind of concept of i'm going to take this list and i'm going to run it because somebody else has but what people don't realize is that your list and my list as we've you know, analyzed, is actually very different in terms of our philosophies behind why we took it and the play style that we want from it and what we're also expecting from that as well. 
So I think it's really, really important to dive in deep and to really build out a list for yourself and to understand the why behind each and every unit. And I think that's really important. Um, so yeah, Matt, I, I, I think your, your list is fantastic. Your, the, the level of detail that you've thought into every single unit is impeccable. Um, and like I said, Ben had a fantastic game against you. He couldn't speak more highly of the way that you played. And obviously you've gone on to do fantastic at the LVO. So Matt, congratulations um, and well done. You've, you've uh, inspired many, I'm sure, to pick up the Custodes and um, to see where and how far they can go with it. So I wish you the absolute best of luck, Matt, uh, for all your future endeavors. Hopefully we get to meet again um, in the future. Yeah, thank you very much. I definitely think we'll be meeting each other in the future. Definitely at the next, next big events. Yeah, I agree. Um, so anyway, we will, um, for all those that have listened, uh, if you have enjoyed the show, you know, please give us a subscribe, a like, a comment, whatever it might be. Um, and obviously you can, you know, check out Matt's lists on the blog post that we will add to this. So next up, we're going to go for those uh, battle ready tips with C Studios. So thanks so much uh, once again, Matt. And uh, Matt, I'm going to have to have you back on the show in the future. Yeah, absolutely, man. Okay, mate. Take care. Take care. Okay, now it's time for the segment with C Studios about getting your battle ready army. Okay, James. So nothing looks nicer for me anyway than a good power sword. You know, you've got those sick blends. So what tips can you give someone that's looking to get a really good blend on their power weapons? Yeah, um, well, there's there's various different blending techniques uh, when when merging two paints together. You you have obviously the, the what's known as wet blending, where you have two uh, viscous bodies of paint and you move them in a lateral motion to get them to join together and, and form some form of effective blend. Um, glazing and layering using sort of much thinner paints is more of a technique called layer blending, which is probably it's a slightly more advanced technique because you're working every layer individually as opposed to just working with two viscous bodies of paint to. to create some kind of transition between the two of them um and and really when it comes to blending one of the main things to bear in mind is, is just control um wet blending gives you less control than layer blending um and using glazes and and, and extremely thin uh, bodies of paint uh, to, to to sort of add layers of of color incrementally as you do each layer that will give you a much as you described sort of creamier softer smoother blend than perhaps wet blending wet blending is great for doing 50 swords in maybe a day um you know uh, whereas obviously layer blending is a lot more controlled and if you've got that character or command squad that will power weapons or whatever i'd advise going down the route of doing a layer blended technique as opposed to to a to, to a wet blending technique um there's also another third one which obviously i haven't mentioned which is obviously the loaded brush technique where you have obviously different forms of paint used on the brush um, i don't personally use that one um i, I prefer the layer blending more controlled approach to doing it um but then I, i'm not typically painting 50 60 swords in a day you know um so yeah it depends on again the execution that you that you want and obviously the amount of models that you've got to do it on so i choose your technique and your arsenal as best as possible when it comes to choosing the, how you're going to approach doing them um again layer blending is a lot more controlled it will give you a much more refined smoother consistent transition between the, the, the two or three or four or five colors that you use um but yeah i, I just pick whichever technique suits best for the time and also the investment that you wish to put on the miniatures. That's brilliant. So in just to pick your brains a little bit more on that, let's say you're going for this layer option and I wanted to do, I don't know, I'm painting my gray knights at the moment and I want kind of that sort of blue to white kind of blend. How many different color blues would I use in whites? Would I use, or would I just pick one blue and one white? What, what, what kind of would I need in setup? What would that look like on my palette? 
I, I typically wouldn't ever personally use white purely down to the fact that it's the brightest color. Uh, and I never really recommend anybody highlighting just with pure white. Um, uh, I'd always, generally speaking, you need a dark, mid and a light from one branch of color. And what I, when I say branch, it's, it's, it's the way that I explain it. But essentially, imagine that each color, as in your red, your green, your blue is a branch. And along that branch, you have a dark, dark, a dark end, a mid, a mid color in the middle and a light. Now, along that branch, you have all different hues of those of that branch color. So the red, the green, the blue. You can pick a dark from the dark section anywhere along the dark point, whether it's the darkest or it's the next darkest hue, the next darkest hue, next darkest hue, whatever, and then one mid, the same. And I'll work three colors within one branch. And then to boost and do your edging, I would pick never a white to boost a color. It's like putting bleach into a color that's from outside of it. Just go to the other end of the branch where it's, you've got a super bright version of that color and use that color to boost your highlight, your lightest color. Does that make sense? Um, that way you get a much softer uh softer sort of uh, jump from color to color to color and also your edging still remains within the same branch of color so your green sword will have a green edge but a super green bright green edge or even towards a yellowish kind of hue uh, and that's kind of how i would approach it so i'm going to put you on the spot a little bit can you give us a branch that you would pick for like a i don't know a one that you know off the top of your head maybe from gw paints that people might know yeah, definitely. Uh, so I'd go along the lines of uh, Caliban Green. Uh, I'd do Caliban Green, Wolfstein Green, and then uh, Moot Green as an example. And you could probably use Moot Green's the brightest green currently in the uh, in the GW range. But I would probably just get maybe a tiny bit of Uriel um, and and place that in rather than than white into the Moot Green. Okay, amazing. And then do you mix the dark in the mid? Would there be like a blend between those two? So let's. Yeah, correct. So there'd be a blend from the mid to the dark and a, and a mid to the light. So you'd, you'd, you'd join all three together like a chain. So you're kind of looking at like six stages, right? You've got... Your... Uh, yeah, the blocking in of each of the three and then obviously the join between... There would actually be five stages. It would be the blocking in of the three and then the joining of the, between the, the three with two transitions. And then like with your little bit of yellow into the green is your sort of edge highlight or something. Correct, yeah. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've always thought just add more white into it to get the blends and add a bit of dark onto the... Yeah, but... a lot of people think that, like adding that in, but if you just move along the branch towards the brightest end and pick a much brighter hue of that same colour, or I know we went to yellow slightly, but obviously if you're limited by the branch, so for example, you're just using GW Paints and, and Moot Green is your brightest green, you can't brighten it anymore. Um, adding white will, will, will take it away from that branch, whereas what yellow will do, or cream, for example, is it will boost that colour within the branch does that make sense yeah it's amazing james thank you so much for that and remember if you want to check out any of c studios all you need to do is head over to w.cstudios.co.uk and you can check out all of their painting guides tutorials patreon masterclasses, and also if you're fancying getting your commission painted by siege then do check out them there so thank you so much everybody for tuning in remember if you love this show please subscribe and also leave us a review it's most appreciated and we'll see you next week on the podcast. Take care.